This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Backblaze, unlimited, secure, and easy online backup. Start your free two-week trial at backblaze.com and start protecting your photos today. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com and use the promo code TWIP. TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners save time billing and get paid faster. Sign up for free at FreshBooks.com and join over 5 million users running their businesses with ease. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash TWIP. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by iFi, point, shoot, iFi. Try it for free at twip.pro slash iFi. That's T-W-I-P dot P-R-O slash iFi. This is TWIP, episode 435, straight out of Washington. Over the past two years, the drone or UAV industry has seen some insanely rapid growth, mostly fueled by the success of industry leader DJI. And as a result, more and more competitors have joined the mix. The drone has permanently stepped in to take its place in the mainstream of global culture, both as a military weapon, as well as more benign uses like photography in the hands of hobbyists and enthusiasts. However, as with any new technology, there are those that will and have abused and misused it. So enter the feds. For several months now, the swinging pit and the pendulum guillotine of government oversight has been steadily dropping closer over the drone industry, with the big question being, will the government come in heavy-handed and destroy this fledgling industry, or will they take too much of a hands-off approach and let folks run amok until someone gets hurt? Personally, one of my biggest fears is that someone stupid or nefarious will do something terrible and cause loss of life. Then, as a result, the world's governments would likely swing into action by issuing broad sweeping bans that would effectively kill or severely handicap the entire industry. Luckily, nothing too heinous has happened. And today in the United States, the FAA have opened its kimono and shared what the proposed guidelines will look like in an effort to stave off future incidents. FYI, the roundtable discussion portion of this show was recorded before the FAA announcement was available, but there's a very timely interview insert that I recorded a few days later on Wednesday, October 21st, with Eric Chang, formerly of DJI. In that quick chat, Eric gives his thoughts on the new guidelines as well as what the future might hold for both amateur and professional drone pilots everywhere. This show was recorded Monday, October 19th, 2015. And this is TWIP. All right. Welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. I'm here with my good buddy, Mr. Yevgeny Chabotarov. He is uh, back from, geez, where were you? You were you were across the several ponds over in China, right? What was going on there, man? Yeah. I, well, I came back from Italy uh, last night. Uh, and before that, I was in Germany, and before that, I was in China. 
Um, so there's been quite a few countries that I've visited. You're just um, a world traveler. What's up with that? How do you get to... <laughs> What kind of founder gets to travel the world like that? Should you be stuck in a cubicle somewhere doing meetings or something? Uh, that was what I was doing for the first four years. Yeah. And uh, I guess I got lucky. Uh, yeah. I, you know, one of the good things is hiring people smarter than you so that you can do the things that you love doing. So yeah. for me, that's meeting our community and uh, just going places and uh, taking photos uh, talking about foreign PX, talking about startups, uh, the struggles of startups. Obviously, it doesn't sound like that when 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 you hear me travel. Yeah, uh, yeah, the struggles yeah. Of, of living in in five star hotel rooms, man. I know. I gotta. I'll send you a care package or something. <laughs> I, I think I think I should start sharing photos of my hotels. Uh, sometimes they're not what they seem. So it's kind of <laughs> like it goes from a really fancy hotels sometimes to really really crappy ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you never know. Yeah, I I can't I can't imagine, but I I can a little bit. All right, man. Well, so all right. So first of all, just on this show, this is a little bit different for this week in photo. We it's just you and I right now doing the show, which I think is kind of cool. So you and I, you and I get to tackle the stories of the week, but and then talk a little bit about 500 PX as well, because there's been lots of changes happening over there, and there's a reason why you were over in China or Shanghai. Um, but let's start before you tell me the reason why you why you were there. There's been uh, some news. You guys made a little bit of a change graphically with your corporate mm -hmm. identity, and it has polarized a lot of your users in some ways. Some people right. love it to death, and some people are like, what the heck were you thinking, man? Absolutely, so, yeah. So we, we changed our uh, logo, and we, we kept the name, but uh, after six years, uh, you know, I think it's, people hate change right like when oh, yeah. something changes people uh don't like it they want things to stay the same but for us it's kind of like the opposite we are we are always changing and we told everyone every time we do something that it's never over that it's going to be more changes coming soon yeah. so whatever you see now there's going to be more and more changes every few months or like you know as as soon as we have them ready uh, because I think that's a part of the startup life uh, where, yeah, you have to, where you have to move because, uh, you know, uh, if not, you'll be, you'll be happy with uh, GeoCities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember GeoCities. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They were, that, that was my first website, but if I would be satisfied with that, we would never move forward. So, yeah. Yeah. um, I think it's important to, to see that. Um, and with the logo, we wanted to have kind of like a new identity to represent what we, uh, stand for as a more inclusive community, as the personal expression, um, as the uh, what I call a creative identity. That's why it looks like a fingerprint of sorts. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, it totally does. I'm going to pull it up right now. Yeah, so there's a little bit of um, things that we try to combine in the in the login. We, uh, we worked with a company to help us with that. So uh, it will take time to uh, to get used to the change. So I think you know maybe. Uh, in three to six months uh it would be nice to go back uh, and and compare it to the old log and be like well you know what do you think now for example S same with with like google and everybody else 
first it's polarizing and then like a year later you just don't even notice that <laughs> you kind of get used to it after a while right yeah so, uh, so, so i'm sharing i just did a quick google search <laughs> Um, yeah. I just Google search yeah. uh, 500px logo. Yeah, so so the first one that you hovered over, um, it's smart for the digest. That is from 2009. That is how old it is. So that's kind of wow. like uh, because in the beginning uh, we were thinking of 500px as the photo digest that will give you the best content uh, based on the best photos and best photographers out there. Uh, and it's been evolving. So now it's a photo community in the marketplace. So it's kind of like it's it's more than what it used to be. Um, so I think we're we've grown up quite a bit. Um, yeah, and that reflects. I the, do like the infinity thing, though. I'm gonna miss that. Being, oh, me, me too. I mean, uh, I, like, it's either infinity. When I looked at it, I either yeah. saw infinity or I saw like a mask. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but but the the fun thing we're compiling uh, some great uh, mockups uh, and parody on the new logo. So there's going to be a really fun blog post in the in the next uh, few days or weeks uh, when w people are making some crazy stuff with the logo and comparing to a lot of different things. So it's always fun to see uh, kind of like where people's creativity will will take us. Yeah. Oh, I think we have... Uh, hey, I'll... Nicole, there you are. Hey, Nicole, we had a show notes mix-up. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show. We're already in progress. You're joining... Oh, you're, thanks. You're joining... I'm in, like, I'm in like, like last-minute study mode because I, like, just now got all the info I needed, so... Oh, no worries, no worries. We had we had a, a last-minute kerfluffle, so... <laughs> That's all right. I can deal with kerfluffles. You're all yeah. good. You're all good. So, well, welcome Nicole Young to the show. We we just started a minute ago. I'm I'm grilling Yevgeny about <laughs> the controversy around his change to the 500px logo. So, no. plug it. I need to hold on. I need to get into my headphones here. Yeah, go for it. So, Yevgeny, I've got okay. up. I've got the uh, the your brand new logo up, and I can see how it kind of looks like a fingerprint now. So, yeah. so yeah. take me through that. So, what was the what was the impetus, and and who designed this, and where did it come from? Um, I forgot the company we worked with, actually. I think it was Focus Labs, uh, but I'm probably the uh, the worst person to talk about the logo, actually. Mm -hmm. um, the, the main change is that we wanted to bring something that is open and mm -hmm. easier, uh, especially not the logo type, but the word mark, uh, the one that you see below on the left. Yeah, this guy. Uh, now yeah. it reads 500px instead of 5infinity. So for a lot of people, uh, for a lot of years, people would uh, refer that to like 5infinity, 500, 500px, 500 pixels, uh, 500 pix. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that it's clear how it's uh, supposed to be uh, pronounced and how it's supposed to be said. So now it's clear that it's 500px. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's kind of like the main. Uh, basically the main logo that we're going to be using uh, everywhere and then where we need to have uh, uh, a mark we'll use the uh, uh, what I call the, the creative identity mark that looks like the fingerprint yeah very cool that's that's not a small undertaking changing a logo I mean that's all, all your wonderful, awesome business cards. By the way, thank you for pointing me to the company that designed your business cards because yeah. I've used them and they made the awesome Twip business cards. Nice. But 
but now they get more business from you because <laughs> you need to re yeah, it's a, it's a huge change and uh, obviously we knew what we were getting to that is like a multi-month effort yeah. um, but I think you know I think in three months we will know that it's it was worth it uh, and now I'm still getting some messages that where people are missing the old logo and they're saying like, oh, well, uh, I really like the Infinity and the, uh, uh, you know, like if you think, because you're obviously like uh, you're, uh, you know, a lot of people grew up with that logo basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And now that it's changed, uh, it takes some time to get used to it. So, yeah. Well, but, but like, yeah. It's brave to make any kind of change, especially when you have a rabid fan base. <laughs> so Absolutely. Making, yeah. Yeah. making so, any kind of change is going to bring out the hornets. And yeah. And, and when I read online, yeah. they came out, yeah. right? And I hear those immediately, like five seconds later, somebody on my Facebook would message me and be like, hey, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you straight. So it's really nice to hear from people uh, to be uh, honest and straightforward for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate it for everybody who reached out and, uh, you know, shared their thoughts, whether positive or negative. So, yeah. so let, let me translate Let me yeah. translate for you, Guinea, <laughs> into, like, what I would say if I was CEO. I would say, thank you for your input, but enough. We're changing it. It's not going to go back. Enjoy it. This is what it is. And we may change it again in the future. And, you know. I, I think this is part of your story where the company actually changed something and then had to revert back. So I think yeah. we'll hear that and uh, discuss that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have another story like that, don't we? Yeah. So before we get to that, Nicole S. Young finally Hello. got the show notes. Finally in the oh house. My God, thank yes, you. I got everything. Thank you. Thank yes. you for coming on. Sorry for the uh, the mix. A little up. bit of a little bit of pain. I probably should have messaged you earlier, but I was like, I know it'll show up eventually. No, I was running behind too. So <laughs> it was one of those perfect storms. Yeah. Don't worry about it. That's all right. So what's going on? Oh, yeah. I, you know, today I had a really good day shooting with some friends. Um, just been kind of doing my thing, writing a new ebook, and nice. when am I not? Though I'm always, yeah. always working on something. So that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it's a. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about in in tonight's show beyond 500 Pixels new logo and Yevgeny. Oh, Yevgeny, before we before we move on, so you we mentioned that you were in China. Mm -hmm. Why were you in China? <laughs> so so um, I know you revealed it to me, so I'm putting you on the spot to reveal it to right. the audience. I, I was in China for two completely separate reasons. Uh, reason number one, we were having a global photo walk, uh, and I was joining the chapter of this photo walk in Hong Kong with a great photographer, Peter Stewart, who was there at the time. Uh, I'm happy to say that this is uh, the largest photo walk in the world, in its just third year. So we actually broke an uh, incredible record of 30,000 people going out and shooting on one day, basically like creating a snapshot of the world. A day in the life. On day in life of the world on September 26th. That's um, awesome. And that That's is awesome. incredible to see all the photos all over the world. Well, was that bigger? Was that, I know Kelby and team, they do their worldwide photo walk too. Did you blow them out of the water? Uh, we did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Scott Kelby, guess what? <laughs> we we uh, we did, and uh, I'm proud of the team. We worked pretty hard on uh, on and all the members that joined. So it's, it, I mean, like it, it's not a competition, right? So it's 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 both. It's not, uh, but it is. Yeah. Bo bo both are free events. Both are 
to celebrate the community. So it's 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 kind of like it's the same community that goes out uh, to Scott Kelby's photo walk and to ours photo walk. Yeah. Um, it just yeah, it's just nice to it's be. It's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, you're right. You know, no, it's all in good fun. When I say you know Scott Kelby, look it, out. It, but, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's all it's like podcasting, right? Yeah, There's a million yeah. podcasts, and Absolutely. I encourage people to listen to other podcasts as well. Twip is not the only one out there. It's, it's like doing multiple photo walks and, and participating. It's more important to get out there and click your shutter than to worry about allegiances and all this crazy stuff. So, so who is your arch uh, ne- nemesis in the podcast world? You know, I'm go- I'm going <laughs> who, after who, CNN. Who you can who can CNN. You CNN. <laughs> CNN. I'm coming after you, and then I'm going after the BBC. Nice. <laughs> after I crush you. Nice. <laughs> I no, think that's no. basically within the reach uh, of this <laughs> podcast. You uh, know, I, I I tend to take a different tack on it. I don't think I have any competition because there is only one Frederick, there's only one Twip, there's only one you guys that bring your flavor to the show, and we have a we have our unique dynamic. So we're you know there's really no competition unless another unless I start another Twip and then it'll comp- compete with this Twip. So that's that's how I see like every everything I do too, you know. It's like I might write a book on, I don't know, pick a subject, but just because somebody else writes a book on it doesn't mean that people won't buy both of them. Like Fuftar is a great example. Everybody has a different perspective, a different personality and it's, you know, I encourage people to find outside sources for everything and it's, I think yes. that people respect other companies when they do that instead of trying to push them down, you know, when somebody pushes something down because they feel like they're a comp- competition, it just makes them look smaller, so. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, just totally. people gravitate to certain things and certain, uh, certain people, so uh, yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly, people have there. different tastes. Some people mm-hmm. don't want to listen to Twip because of certain reasons and other people do, you know, that's the whole thing. It's, my advice to people would be, if you're buy the biggest capacity phone you can next time you update next time you update don't cheap out and buy a 16 gigabyte phone buy a 128 gigabyte phone you know especially if you're getting a phone that shoots 4K and then you'll be able to consume all the music and <laughs> podcasts and apps and all that stuff you know keep every single episode of Twip. <laughs> exactly <laughs> all yeah, the phones yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> All right, guys, let's dive in uh, to the show. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about. First, story number one is about the United States, the FAA. Um, they're planning on creating a drone registry in response to safety concerns around irresponsible drone pilots doing crazy things with them. So it's supposedly uh, to be unveiled this week. I'm not sure if it got unveiled yet or not as we go to record this, but it's the, let me read this from the show, so the drone users in the U.S. will soon be required to register their aircraft drones with the Department of Transportation, DOT, in an attempt to address safety concerns over the growing number of unauthorized flights. The register, uh, or registration, to be unveiled Monday, which is today as we record this, comes in response to concerns about a surge in incidents where drones have flown over or or near airports and crowded public venues. The announcement is expected to be made by the U.S. Treasury Secretary Anthony Fox and Michael Huerta, Administrator of the FAA, at a news conference attended by drone industry figures. So this, this is interesting, and I wanted to talk to you guys about it specifically because, A, it's This Week in Photo, and this happened this week, but B, drone photography in general is becoming and has become in the past 18 months 
a complete new genre of photography, and the government is now being forced to react accordingly as people do stupid things like fly them near aircraft and into the White House and into the heads of brides and stuff like, stuff like that. Nicole Young, uh, you know, you saw this, right? You read this article. Yeah. I personally, I think this legislation is good. I mean, it's it's we need some kind of oversight in the in the space before people start running amok. On the other hand, I'm thinking, you know, how do you how do you police something like this yeah. when people are airborne by the thousands and you only have so many people to police them? What do you think? Well, it's it's kind of funny that we're talking about drones again because the last time I was on Twip, it was like the whole episode <laughs> felt like we were talking about drones. So, yeah. um, so it's still kind of fresh in my mind. You know, I don't do drone photography. I don't have a drone, uh, or, you know, quadcopter, whatever you want to call it. I'm ordering one this week, just yeah. for the record. I'm ordering I, a so Phantom So then you'll, you'll have a first, you know, you'll be able to tell us how the, all this works. Yep. I think a lot of it comes down to what they consider a drone. Like, you know, I mean, you could consider a helicopter, like a wireless remote, whatever, helicopter to be a drone because it flies mm -hmm. in the air. So mm -hmm. what's their classification, first of all? And how easily or difficult is it for people to register? You know, can they just do it quickly online? Do they have to pay something? Right. Or is it just like real quickly, enter it in, enter the manufacturer, enter the serial number, you know, maybe verify your address and that you're, you're wherever you live or however they want to do it. If they make it like convoluted and way too much effort and way too much energy, then it's it's going to obviously that's going to cause problems. So I think it's a good thing because there's so much, you know, unfortunately, you kind of have to go to the lowest denominator and the person who's making all the mistakes, you kind of have to yeah, you, assume you, that everyone's going to do that. Yeah, exactly. It's all for the lowest common. Yeah, What I worry about is you know, if, like you said, if they make it convoluted, no one's going to do it, you no, know, and they're just exactly. going to say, you know what, what's the, what's the ticket I could get? You know? Yeah, what's the penalty for that? Is it gonna yeah, be if like, I get a penalty, that's, it's a it's a $100 fine, I'm just going to go fly until I get caught, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, like people, I mean, the, the thing is, you're probably only going to get caught if you do something stupid and get in trouble with it, you know, right. I mean, like they're going to walk around, like police officers are going to walk around and check your registration for your drone if you're in a, a public yeah, area or whatever. That's what they're getting at, because even then... <laughs> If you're if you're in one of these awesome drones like D, like the Phantom Three that I'm gonna order, right? Mm -hmm. That thing. Eric Chang was telling me this earlier this week that I could go a mile out with that thing. Jeez. <laughs> and be looking at the video on my iPad. So how of they where can even? Going. Yeah. So then how are? If I'm a mile away yeah. and I'm like, I do something stupid, I'm like, hey, look at that, look at that car. I'm gonna crash my drone into that car, and I crash it into that car. Then what? Right? If it's not registered, then if it's not registered, unless, yeah. you know, if they, if, no, if they, if they do it through, let's say DJI, if DJI has to do something where every time you purchase it, you have to automatically register it at the time of purchase, you yeah, know, yeah. that it gets that tied would, to your your the yeah. serial number gets tied to your credit card, which yeah. is trackable and all so that. So yeah. in a way, with you know, I think for the consumer, now people might not be happy that they have to register, but if it's law, then it's law, and if it's already taken care of before they even get it in their hands, then that might make kind of solve that whole convolution, you know. So it'll be interesting how they implement it. I think that's usually. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. Probably, I'm excited yeah. to see how they implement it. It's, it's it's like a new era in law, right? This is like <laughs> yeah. brand new territory. New frontiers. <laughs> yeah, you've given. What do you think about this? I mean, is this the uh, well, is this the new war on drugs? The new well, war on drones? <laughs> let me start with with the personal story. Two days ago, we were shooting uh, drone footage in Vienna, Italy. Um, and we're in the main square, and a friend of mine, he's like, well, should I fly here? I'm like, um, there's some police officers. 
So I don't want you to be caught while you are launching the drone. So we went to the, basically, as you said, a mile away, uh, about 800 meters, uh, to the complete separate part of town uh, on a big parking lot. And then we launched the drone and just like flew it back to the main square, shot everything we wanted to shoot. Yeah. Uh, I had to Google the height of the tower uh, so that we would fly over that for sure. Yeah. Um, and like basically had amazing footage, but uh, half a mile away from uh, uh, from uh, from the place. The thing is, I think that the the onus is on the on the manufacturers like DJI, who are the undisputed leader of drones right now. Yeah. To actually have. Uh, uh, what they currently have is no-fly zones. So a lot of airports, you cannot even fly your your DJI Phantom 3 into the airport because it wouldn't it wouldn't let you. Right. Because it has the GPS and some coordinates that are part of the kind of like no-fly zone list. So I think it's kind of like should be reversed because there's going to be uh, DJI sells thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of drones each year. Uh, and it's that number will just keep going up every year until everybody is like uh, have at least one drone at home. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's on them to actually kind of like police that by ensuring that every uh, you know if you don't want to fly it over the uh, shopping malls, then the shopping malls are on the no fly list, for example. Or if you don't want to fly it over uh, obviously airports or. Uh, U.S. military, or like, not a U.S. military, like any military object. Any, just any place like where <laughs> no, you should, no, no. Right. yeah, airports, all that stuff, and they should, yeah. I think they should, and I don't know, you know, we have to talk to Eric or drone officials about this, but I think they should also have some sort of device where they can give to law enforcement and emergency workers and any other place where people want to control the airspace that they can turn it on and create a bubble no-fly zone that, that drones just... I don't know if you can do that, but that they can't at least take off into it. Right? Think, maybe, but then imagine you want to have, like... Every, then you will have, what, like every police officer with a special device of creating a bubble of no-fly zones? Yeah, and then that would get hacked, <laughs> and then there'd yeah, be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems uh, uh, like an overkill, but at yeah, the same time, yeah. uh, you, you cannot stop that. Like, you, uh, there's... Uh, uh, I, I, I probably know half a dozen of people who are building their own drones. They yeah. don't have any no-fly restrictions. No. no, they can go anywhere they want. Yeah, You can build a drone. I saw a drone at, geez, what was it, CES last year. I don't even know if you can call it a drone because it was it was the size of a Prius. <laughs> you know? And it was designed for Spaceship. like airlifting victims, you know, and it was a relief type thing that was all, <laughs> you know, that you could fly in and take people out on stretchers and stuff like that. And I'm like, that thing was huge, you know? And if imagine something like that. We're talking about these little uh, semi-toys. Mm -hmm. When you get to that level, you could put anything you want on this thing and fly it anywhere you want, anytime you want to fly it. So the technology's out of the bag, right? Yeah, but at the same time, I think uh, part, part of that is the weight restrictions, right? If you're mm -hmm. buying Phantom 3 maybe you just buy it and you use it. This is a toy, right? This is a yeah. recreational use. But if you're mm -hmm. a professional filmmaker and you have an octocopter mm -hmm. with a bigger camera and, like, operator and uh, a pilot, uh, it's usually, like, a couple of people in those uh, pro-drones. Yeah. Uh, and th this becomes, like, a commercial thing, like a helicopter, basically. 
and it can create real damage. So maybe you need like a real flight permit. And I think that, that that's uh, that's the issue that uh, FAA was trying to tackle before yeah. uh, by giving licenses to commercial drones. Uh, but this is just on the real forefront of technology. Um, and frankly, I'm not that worried because um, uh, I've been to Iceland a few months back and mm -hmm. imagine you're standing with like 300 photographers shooting some icebergs or whatever and the only three drones in the air are the drones of uh, me and my friends. <laughs> That's it. So like that out of 300... Yeah. You know, because what if drones go the way of the selfie stick? Yeah. You know, because I remember a couple of years ago, you see one every now and then. Yeah. Now they're everywhere. You know, they 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 multiply like rabbits. So you know that may change. But it you feels know. like you know it's still so far in between. So uh, in Italy, uh, in even the most touristy places, we were the only one with the drones. So yeah. It, yeah. Se it seems like yeah, there's people like Elia that is flying drones everywhere. Eli Lacari, uh, uh, like doing all the crazy stuff, uh, and some other people, but yeah. I, I think it's still so far in between that it's not even. Uh, uh, there's probably more drones being crashed than there's owned uh, each year so far. So it's yeah. kind of like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, we'll see. We'll see. But you know what? You know the good thing is. Um, uh, one of my good friends is Eric Chang, who mm -hmm. used to work for DJI. He announced last week that he had departed DJI. We actually recorded a whole interview that's going to go live on the TWIP network next week. But I, I contacted him yesterday, asked, and I said, hey, can you give me some comments on this whole you know, FAA announcement, which hasn't occurred yet, obviously, so he couldn't comment, <laughs> so he couldn't comment on it. But he and I are going to sit down uh, Wednesday of this week and a couple days after we record this, and he's going to give me a couple of thoughts. And I'll, you know, if and I'm taking a risk here, if I have been able to contact Eric and talk to him in the future, I will insert his comments <laughs> here. All right, folks, uh, I'm sitting here with a good friend of mine, Mr. Eric Chang, formerly of DJI, but still one of the world's foremost authorities on all things drone slash UAV slash UAS. And Eric has joined us to talk about the this news that came out on Monday about some legislation around how hobbyists and professionals can use their drones going forward. So welcome, Eric. How you doing? Uh, good. Thanks for having me. Hey, a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. So let, let's dive into this, man. So uh, the first, first of all, I need a definition reset calibration. So we've drones, I hear, is the wrong term for these things. Then I, I start using the term UAV, which I thought was more politically correct. And now I'm being told it's supposed to be UAS. What is the correct term for these guys? Okay, who, who's telling you that drone isn't right? Uh, I don't. I forget who it was. I did an interview with someone like a year or so ago, and they said yeah. they said something around drone has a negative connotation because of drone strikes and all this predator crap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I st I stopped thinking about that a long time ago because we it's not up to us. It's up to the media, and they have decided that it's drone. Yeah. And no matter how much uh, you know, rule makers talk about UAS, which is you know they they actually it's probably SUAS, which is small unmanned aircraft systems. So UAS is kind of what, what you'll find in the language from, from the government. Um, and then UAV is kind of, you know, a term that's also used a lot. Uh, so it's confusing. And, and the reason that is 
uh, that drone is the word is that there's no viable alternative. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, you know, basically when I hear drone, I say drone back. And when I'm talking to consumers, I say drone because that's what they, that's what they know it as. Yeah. And it's if you don't think it's person. drone, then that's okay too. And yeah. you can fight, argue all you want and I'll, I'll ignore it. <laughs> exactly. In the end, it's a thing that flies in the air. I like drone, you know, and, and I don't, Look, it's a neutral I, I don't port. think it's the military should have been able to co-op the word drone away from all things positive. I mean, I was thinking when I thought drones before all this military stuff came up, I thought Star Wars, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the attack of the drones or whatever that was. Attack of the clones. Come on. Yeah. Attack of the clones. Sorry. All right. There you go. There you no, go. I think you're right. It's not it. Uh, you can use whatever word you want, and uh, it's just unfortunately. I mean, look at all the look at all the media. They call it a drone. You know, by far, most people are looking at media. They're not, you know, reading policy stuff. Um, and so it's it's going to be drone. And I think um, it, it really is a neutral term. You know, what what I found in in experience with a lot of you know working with a lot of people who are being introduced to the technology or the products for the first time is that. Um, they might have that first reaction where they think of military drones, but very, very quickly, like pretty much immediately, they start thinking of drone as a neutral term. And, you know, I like to preface drone with an adjective, you know, about what kind of drone it is. So you have camera drones and conservation drones and, you know, commercial drones, civilian drones. Um, but I don't think that drone by default is military. I love it. I love it. Well, you and I recently, as I guess last week, we sat down in person at your house and did a did an awesome interview, which is going to go live on TWIP next week. So this is a good preview to that conversation. So let, let's dive into the news, right? The news that, that the news at hand, and that's the FAA making some movements. I'm not even going to reveal what it is. So the FAA made some movements around the the laws pertaining to and governing drone usage for hobbyists and professionals. So what happened? Apparently Monday something something big was supposed to happen. Did it happen? Okay, well, last week on Friday, uh there was, you know, a kind of a really tw like a Twitter uproar <laughs> <laughs> about um about proposed drone registration requirements uh, which were going to be announced on Monday. And on Monday, there was indeed an announcement. And the announcement was that there will be an announcement. Um, so uh, the announcement was about was a, a few things. It was that there is a committee of uh, representatives from industry who have gotten together to, um, uh, to come up with a set of with a recommendation for um, how drones should be registered. Uh, and this would be this would be for commercial and hobby use, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then sometime in December, uh, they would you know they would go forward with drone registration. So you know, of course, what happened immediately, well, and there was almost no other information in the announcement, by the way. So um, what it did was create a lot of questions. So immediately, I mean, all almost all of the uh, articles that were written immediately after that announcement were. Were questions, you know, how how is it going to be done? You've mm -hmm. never done anything in that little time. Um, there's a congressional, I mean, there's you know the FAA Modernization and Reform Act of 2012, which says that you cannot, the FAA has no jurisdiction over hobby if certain criteria are met. You know, which is this is where we get the uh, line of sight under 400 feet. You know, these sorts of rules that that are pretty standard were pretty standard as recommendations before. Yeah. So now this is FAA saying, well, we actually we do. Have jurisdiction and we are going to uh, regulate uh, in that area. So, um, so I think one of the biggest problems is it actually goes against that congressional mandate. And um, so a lot of the, you know, 
the drone lawyers out there are, you know, they of course bring that up. Um, and the only way that F the FAA could successfully do this legally is probably through some kind of emergency rulemaking. And why would, and that's what I'm, you know, basically the intro to this particular show where there's interviews going in, I said that, you know, I said something to the effect that it would take something, you know, from a, from a, either a stupid person or a nefarious person doing something that causes harm or loss of life for lawmakers to go into this emergency lawmaking mode, i.e. the shoe bomber, right, to to then overreachingly regulate and and kind of hobble this industry. But you're saying nothing like that has happened, but they're saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to move in this emergency mode anyway? Well, I don't think they've officially issued a response to that because, you know, they haven't actually answered many of these questions. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are, are a lot of, there are a lot of questions. I mean, um, I, I don't think, I think none of us can imagine how it can be done uh, by December because the numbers of drones, first of all, there's no definition for what they're talking about. Are they talking about, they're, they're, they've said not toys, but that doesn't mean anything because, you know, people buy drones with cameras on them like phantoms as toys, but they're also used commercially. Mm -hmm. So, you know, wh where's the line? I think that's going to be the first thing that um, I'm most interested in is, is what are they defining as something that needs to be registered? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, another good question is, are carbon copies going to be required? Because that's how it's done now. And I don't know if anyone makes carbon paper anymore. <laughs> carbon copies of, you mean, the uh, the registration form? And all that? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, yeah. I don't probably the younger people on this listening to this don't even know what they are. Yeah, like, what's that? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's that? You can, go, you can go Google it, and you can look up uh, A-Tracks, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in fact, don't bother. It's all gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think there are, a lot of, there are a lot of questions, mostly because um, no one can imagine that there will be a successful, uh, there will be, you know, infrastructure that is good enough to actually support drone registration en masse. You know, we're talking tens, hundreds, or hundreds of thousands or millions, depending on where they draw the line. And um, first of all, there aren't enough end numbers to even deal with that, you know, the like how aircraft are registered. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a completely new system. And um, and then there are all sorts of questions like, can you, can you transfer, do you have to transfer your drone? What happens if you don't use it anymore? Yeah, um, yeah. I think there are just, there are way too many questions. I, I don't know why the announcement was made. I mean, I'm sure there was a reason, but all it's done is create a whole lot of confusion and, you know, if it isn't done in the right way, what's going to happen is massive noncompliance. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to enforce at this scale. You know, and then what happens, you know, because from what you're saying, two things sound scary to me, because it sounds like from from the standpoint of drone manufacturers, it sounds like what if the FAA just heavy handedly says, you know, what, we're going to arbitrarily draw the line of pro versus toy at this much money, right? So if you, for example, if you pay more than $300 for your device, it is now a professional level device, you know? So now, now that is going to impact if they did something like that, you know, it's hypothetical, obviously, but if they did something like that, that's going to impact the DJIs and the 3D robotics and all these guys where it's in their best interest to create something that's a lower price rather than innovate and create something that's higher, right? Is that fair? Well, I, I don't think it's going to be based on price. It's yeah. probably going to be based on kinetic energy poss uh, possibilities, you know, so something like lifting fast power? or heavy. Yeah, so usually it's either weight or some combination of weight and speed. Mm -hmm. um, okay. You know, basically how much damage can it cause if it's in free fall? 
or you know traveling at maximum velocity so you know this is how a lot of this is how a lot of europe does it i mean it's actually pretty reasonable um I, and i think actually it's probably pretty reasonable to have that line defined i don't think you're going to do it with a bunch of folks recommending you know that actually don't recommend they don't represent consumer interests either you know the the most consumery organization consumery it's a new word yeah. organi- organization uh in their 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 committee is is ama um, and that's, you know, that's a community-based organization that deals with model aircraft. Um, they, they don't really, they don't really represent most of the drone owners out there. You know, no, nobody, I mean, nobody I know, um, is part of the AMA unless they're actually into the hobby. So, you know, that doesn't include, for example, photographers, which are like the bulk of this audience here. You know, we use drones to take pictures. We don't really care that they're drones. Right. Um, it's a tripod, and, you know, and, it's a tripod in yeah, the sky. It's a moving tripod in the sky. And, um, and there are also lots of homemade drones, you know, people make these things. And the other thing to point out, which is really interesting is that nothing is federally registered basically except your identity. So, you know, people say, well, you have to register guns. Well, actually you don't, you, that's at the, it's at the state level, um, that you register guns as, as with vehicles, you register vehicles at the state level. So, you know, why is it that suddenly drones are in this magic category of being registered federally? And I, you know, I guess it's because, you know, FAA is the only only body that deals with airspace, mm-hmm. um, but they're not really uh, ready. I don't think they're ready to accept drone registrations. And, you know, by the way, DJI requires activation on every single product they sell. So if you buy a Phantom, you have to register it, just like you register your iPhone, you know, when the first time you turn it on. Yeah. So these registries basically already exist. And they're tied to uh, an email address, um, but not to, you know, official ID, because that just hasn't been something that's been required. So, so let's let's dive into this a little bit. So, first of all, I'm I'm getting a, a picture of some some anarchy going on in the government. I can only guess that someone had a deadline from their boss that said, "Hey, by Friday, I want to see some movement on this drone thing. I don't care what it is." So they made yeah. they made an announcement that's saying, "Hey, we're working on it, and hopefully by November, December, we're going to have something." So, but right now, what the FAA um, has published, and you can find this at faa.gov/go/uas. We'll put this in the notes. Um, but they've got a handful of kind of high level guidelines on. You know, this is I'm looking at a infographic titled "What Can I Do with My Model Aircraft?" and they go into. I'm going to read these off to you. Um, do they, they got do's and don'ts? Do fly a model aircraft uh, or UAS at the local model aircraft club. Do take lessons, learn to fly safely. Do contact the airport or control tower when flying within five miles of the airport. Do fly a model aircraft for personal joint enjoyment. And these are the don'ts. Don't fly near manned aircraft. Don't fly beyond the line of sight of the operator. Don't fly an aircraft wing more than 55 pounds unless it's certified by an aerial modeling community-based organization. Don't fly contrary to your aerial modeling community-based safety guidelines. And don't fly model aircraft for payment or commercial purposes. Those are the right. do's and don'ts. So our, so let's let's fast forward to November, December. What do you think might change in here? Or is are they just saying, yeah, that stuff? Yeah, that. Let's do that. But now you have to register your aircraft and we need a serial number and your some sort of well, ID. So let's let's talk about what those rules are for. Yeah. You know, th- these are rules that came out of um, a combination of an old advisory circular that that you know, hobbyists 
used to abide by voluntarily. Um, and then and also the FAA Modernization and Reform Act of 2012. And finally, in September, there was an updated advisory circular from the FAA, which is uh, 91-57A, if you're interested. But it basically says if you follow all of these uh, guidelines, uh, they're not guidelines, really, if you follow all of these requirements, then uh, you, you are flying a model aircraft as defined in public law that means that um, it can be operated safely in the national airspace system. That's what FAA says. But, you know, there's also language that says um, that if you follow these rules, the FAA d uh, d does not have the ability to, um, you know, uh, uh, to, uh, what's the word? To, uh, to care about what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Like they, um, so, so that's where that language comes from. And, um, and so now I think what's interesting is, you know, those are the rules. Um, but now they're saying that, oh, actually, you also have to register. And that doesn't exist anywhere in any of the language before Monday. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. So, so everything's still gray, right? Now, if now, maybe even more gray than it was before Friday. So, so now what happens? Let's, let's, let's paint a picture of what happens if, say, say everything happens and they're able to get this stuff pushed through November, December before, before 2016. And we have, uh, we have some ratified rules that, that are governing the drone industry. Now, you know, like you said, millions of people have these things and probably millions more after the holidays, me being one of them, you know, you go out and you do something stupid or nefarious with this thing and you don't abide by the rules. You know, you don't put your phone number and address or whatever, on this thing, say it's not a DJI aircraft. Say it's a it's a home built, you know, that you built from parts from radio from from Home Depot and Target, whatever. <laughs> from Radio Shack. Like radio, yeah, I don't exists. know. I was yeah. gonna say Radio Shack, but I don't know if they're still around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you build this thing and you fly it and you you cause some damage or you bring down a commercial airline or something, you know, crazy like that. Then what? Like, well, how do you find the person? How do you how do you legislate and police something as kind of amorphous as a drone industry yeah i think i think i think it's a really good question i mean i um in discussions with ntsb which is the national transportation safety board and they, they're like the the you know the secret superheroes in the background doing uh research to figure out uh, i mean they're doing investigations when something happens um they actually when talking to them they just say well we're, we're going to find you even if it's not registered because it's you know, it's in a particular area. Other people will have known that someone is flying there. I mean, they, you know, they're doing, uh, it's an investigation. And I, uh, so I, I, I don't think drone registration is going to solve the problem of people doing things nefariously because they're not operating by rules. And, um, you know, if their goal is to cause damage, then mm -hmm. they're certainly not going to register. Yeah. And so this is really something for people who are already trying to follow the rules. Yeah. And it may be, you know, my, my hunch is that it may be a way to drive people to learn the rules. You know, the, the, I mean, the biggest, I think, benefit of forcing uh, mandatory registration is that it may require you to read things and sign off saying you've read something. Um, and from a liability standpoint, you know, if you ignore those things, I guess, you know, that's when they can point to you and say, well, you registered this. You yeah. sign this. Thing. But I think the bigger problem is that you can't find these people. You know, mm -hmm. it, I think most people I know who you know, are anti-drone. Um, first of all, I don't think they've really thought about what a drone is and what it can do, but um, they, they say, well, there's a drone in my backyard looking at me. How do I know who's flying that? 
And, you know, I always answer, well, there's a guy in the building next door with a long lens. How do you know he's even looking at you? You don't. It doesn't make noise. And there are lots of problems like that. And they say, well, you know, should we just not do anything? Like, people, it's not like people aren't doing anything. It's that that you're not seeing what people are doing. So um, I I think, you know, the, the big question is, what does drone registration do to help people find out who are who's doing something bad if the drone isn't taken down yeah and even if it is taken down let's say it goes through an engine you know and and it's it's still up in there by the way whether something like a phantom would take actually take a, a plane down if it went through the engine you know a, a 30 pound snow goose maybe yeah um and and maybe it will i don't know um but if it goes through there it's going to be it's going to come out as a million plastic particles and maybe a few shards of metal that are so, spread over several square miles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So registration didn't do anything in that case. So registration's really, you know, if you crash on accident in a national park or in someone's yard and someone goes and picks it up, they can say, oh, you know, well, Frederick, mm-hmm. he doesn't know how to fly. He crashed here and left his, <laughs> left his phantom here. Right. So, um, I, I, yeah, the, and these are, exactly, these are the questions that need to be asked and, and figured out. And I think there are so many um, cases that they need to, you know, they need to, uh, so many questions uh, that need to be answered that, you know, in a few weeks, in a month, are they going to be able to come up with something reasonable, especially with no real consumer advocate on board? I think most consumers probably not going to be happy yeah, with whatever yeah. they do. It's scary. It kind of reminds me in a lot of ways of the unwinnable war on drugs, right? <laughs> it's like the war, the war on drones. Let's, let's put these things, these safeguards and organizations in place to stop this thing that we really have no help or, or no way to, to stave off, right? Especially, like you're saying, yeah, a best case scenario is Frederick's flying his Phantom 3. He loses control over it. It falls on someone's kid's head. Boom, injures the kid. They pick up the drone. We have his name and address and email, you know, so let's go litigate against this guy. But that's best case scenario. You know, worst case scenario, like you're saying, this thing gets sucked, sucked into the air intake on a, on, a, on, a, on a commercial airliner and shredded and causes damage and brings the aircraft down or forces it to land or something like that. You, they, the pilot knows it was a drone because they saw the, the iconic shape of a drone coming at them and they couldn't avoid it. Now what? You know, what do you do? So there's no way to enforce that. And if, and in that case, say it was an accident. Yeah, it's an accident. So, okay, you know, the guy doesn't want to be found. He's afraid. But what if it was nefarious? What if it was a terrorist or someone else that wants to do something and they're two plus miles away with a completely unmarked serial number filed off drone and they decide to do bad things with it? So what does this do in that circumstance? So it, right, it just right. it just gets really scary. Yeah. And I I think just issues through the whole, the whole pipeline when you're thinking about it. I mean, first of all, it's, you know, a drone goes 30 to say a fast one is 50 or 60 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty hard to hit stuff going much faster than that. And I I don't think anyone, I mean, the airplane thing is just this theoretical uh, exercise. And, and, you know, if, if things are not regulated with enough numbers of drones in the air at some point something's going to happen but that's literally the case with every product on on the market you know pretty much every product kills people yeah and and drones probably by numbers are actually pretty safe right now um and and so i I think i don't know why there's this fascination with drones when people are being killed by all sorts of things on a daily basis. And, it might be the military you know. thing. It might be because the popularity, like like you and I were talking about in the interview, the this industry was 
was a zygote just two years ago, right? So it's just, you know. <laughs> nice use of. I did not expect to be talking about zygotes today. <laughs> hey, I don't know where these analogies come from. They just come to me. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it was it was like we were barely two years old now, right? Right. So this all this stuff is new, and in that same window, that's when all of the whole drone strike stuff was going on right so now you have this brand new industry with these devices that everyone can go buy off of amazon or directly from dji or 3dr or whatever and you have the government flying you know from from trailers in nevada flying you know missions overseas so and they're named the same thing so obviously these things that these companies here in the u.s are making for enjoyment are evil so let's let's yeah. <laughs> let's figure out how to legislate them and keep them out of the air, you know. And plus, yeah. all the news about drones surveilling American citizens, or you know, here in the U.S. and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's it's it was it's a bad it was bad timing. I think it's fear. It's fear based. <laughs> it's just fear based. And yeah. I think um, I, it's sad to see um, a reactive legislation based on fear and not data. You know, I think. Because you we want, ne- we've never done that before, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just it's I don't know. It just feels uh, it's not making me more optimistic about <laughs> about where we're going. I know. Um, I know. I know. It's scary. It, it's it's scary. But at the same time, it's scary from the standpoint of you know, hey, government, keep your hands off my drone, right? But then it's also scary from the standpoint of. If they do do that and they overreach and they do something that people are, people cry foul on, like, hey, government, you have no business doing this. I'm not going to pay attention to your law. Oh, what's the penalty for getting caught? $1,000? I'm just going to put $1,000 in my mattress, and if I get caught, I'll pay you. You know, But I'm going to fly however I want to fly until I get caught. And then what? You know, Or they don't even care at all, and they just fly you know, at, at risk, thereby negating right. this whole expensive exercise that the federal aviation administration is going through right now well and and i think the the bigger risk is that if you ignore one rule you might be tempted to ignore them all Mm -hmm. and i think there are a lot of things that people uh would love to abide by you know they they want to know where where the limits are of what they can do with something and you know a lot of people aren't thinking about it yet because it's so new Um, and and also we don't have a really powerful lobby yet for for consumer drones you know so if, if you try to shut down tobacco or alcohol or guns, like you, you, you're not in office next, <laughs> next session. Right. Um, and, and it'd be, I don't know. I think I was going to say it's, it'd be great, but I actually don't like the way that works. Um, but I think, you know, there, all the, all of industry is kind of trying to figure out how to play nicely. And, uh, there isn't enough, uh, of that pressure from industry, uh, in the form of lobbies, not yet, not quite yet. Yeah. There's some, there's some organizations that are forming like the, I know there's one called the small UAV coalition that D, I know DJI is a part of Google mm-hmm. yeah. and, and lots of other heavy hitters are, is that an entity that might take up that mantle? Yeah. The, I mean, organizations like small UAV coalition are, are forming and are very active in lobbying and DJI is in fact very active in lobbying. Um, and we, we, I mean, we, they, cause I'm yeah. no longer there. Yeah. They, I mean, they all connect and, constantly on the regulatory issues and are, are working together. So, I mean, I, I always point out, you know, I, we just the other day on, I was on Facebook, you know, of all the places, uh, there's some discussion about like no one doing anything. Like actually things like, you know, California trying to ban flights over private property, you know, SB 142, they don't get vetoed uh, randomly. You know, there's a ton of, a uh, ton of work going on behind the scenes um, by industry uh, on behalf of, um, 
you know, whatever the company is interested in doing. Um, so consumer drone companies are fighting for the right to use drones by consumers. Um, and that all happens, you know, it's, it's, it's mostly still an education battle, though. You know, if you, if you want Governor Brown to, uh, you know, react the right way about drones, he should probably understands wh- what they are and, you know, should probably see one and fly one. And, you know, hopefully FAA is educating themselves about what drones are. Um, That's good to know, though, because my my kind of layman's brain thinks about this as this is like drone drone technology is cutting edge. Right. And we're seeing new things come out all the time. And it's an exciting, exciting sort of leading edge area of image making photography and and flight. And when I think government, I think, yeah, they're probably still back in the model airplane ho scale train kind of era you know where and they don't kind of understand this new technology yet now they're going to try to legislate against it and that that kind of disconnect is what scares me it's like okay these guys this you know this politician sitting in this room that's disconnected from everything that i care about is now going to tell me how i can operate what could be a part of my business or at least a part of my daily enjoyment so, you know, yeah, but you're saying hard. that we yeah. do have representation. So that's all moot, right? Well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's moot because it's, you know, it's a, all, first of all, it's constantly changing. You know, mm-hmm. I think the industry is and the technology is changing really, really quickly. So if you're not, you know, if you're not in the game constantly and um, actually, I feel like if you don't, act, if you're not out there using the products constantly, you j- there's no hope of knowing what they are. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I'm not saying that no one in the FAA knows because we, 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 I certainly have been contacted by, by people who work for the FAA who are avid pilots, drone pilots or UAS pilots. Um, and we're also contacted constantly by companies like, I don't know, like Boeing or something, you know, like com- aircraft companies want to do aircraft inspections using drones. So obviously they have to be able to fly in airports, um, for something like that to happen. Yeah. So I, you know, I, th- I think people are starting to u- recognize that they are tools but it's slow and education is very, very difficult. Probably one of the biggest issues out there. Love it. Eric Chang, thank you, man, for coming on and, uh, and helping to clear the air or at least put some parameters in the air for us to, to be thinking about. You're, you're, like we said at the beginning here, you're formerly of DJI, but you, your footage and your photos and the stuff that you've done, you are, you are a professional aerial photographer <laughs> and your stuff is insanely amazing where where can people go to look at some of the stuff that you're that you put together uh well most of it's at my vimeo page which is vimeo.com slash echeng e-c-h-e-n-g uh and my photography work is at echengphoto.com and on social i'm at echeng everywhere um and i what's what's funny is you know when i started doing aerial work um i I stopped updating my portfolio site, <laughs> which is Yicheng Photo, because I was so busy uh, learning and then, you know, of course, working uh, yeah. as part of DJI. Um, so actually, Yicheng Photo is almost all my old life, which is underwater photography. Old life. Uh, hopefully, you know, I'll be getting the water again soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Love it. Love it. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate your time. Great. Thank you. All right. All right, that was Eric Chang's comments on the FAA's Hopefully. announcements. Uh, Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. If not, you didn't hear anything. You know, but <laughs> if I was able to talk to Eric, I've inserted it in the, you know, postmortem <laughs> into the show through the wonders of post-processing and post
All right, but, you know, speaking of the FAA, so here's another statistic from the FAA. So they said in uh, between January 1st and, and the 9th of August, there were reported more than 650 unauthorized drone sightings. I don't know what sightings mean. You know, unauthorized drone sightings in that window uh, between the 1st of January and the 9th of August compared to 238 in all of 2014. So basically they're extrapolating if, if the sightings, so what is a sighting? If the sightings continue at that rate, the number will near 1,100 by the end of the year. So, I mean, an unauthorized un- drone sighting. Was it on? That's like a UFO. <laughs> yeah. What if it is an authorized drone sighting? Like, what is going I know. on? Like, how do you? Yeah. How do you? What's an authorized drone sighting? He's like, <laughs> look at that one. It's blinking green instead of red. You know what is? What is that? I don't know. It's it's yeah. It's really hard to um uh to have all this like government uh legalese and speak. Yeah. It's so. it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. And I'm I'm particularly interested in this because I'm heading off to Vietnam next month, and I'm buying this Phantom Three and a case and all the doohickeys that go with it to take with me. Hopefully, you know, I'll be able to get it in country and all that, so I can do some you know some shots from the air in Vietnam. So all this stuff, I'm researching the you know the law in Vietnam around flying these things and where I can and can't fly them, and this this FAA ruling is coming down just as I'm about to pull the trigger because <laughs> I've been saving all year to buy this thing. <laughs> now I'm getting it, and this ruling comes down just before I'm getting ready to push buy, you know, on DJI site or on Amazon. So, you know, it's it's all interesting. I'm going to document the whole thing and let you guys, you know, the TWIP listeners know what my experiences were. Because this is like, you know, I think it's all historic because this this ruling is coming down right now. And it's my first time in Vietnam. So we'll see how it <laughs> goes. I love it. Oh, it's like one of my favorite places in the South, Southeast Asia. So. Oh, I got to pick your brain for it. real. It's I need true. to pick your brain on what to bring with me, what not to bring. <laughs> you know what I'm, the most thing, the thing I'm most worried about, Nicole? Hmm? Food. <laughs> Oh well, I'm a pretty adventurous eater. I don't want to get sick because I'm 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 a Midwestern kid. I I have no idea what you're talking about. Vietnamese is my one of my favorite cuisines. So Mm -hmm. like that's all I'm eating when I'm back home, basically. Good. So (laughs) you're gonna be fine. (laughs) Are you worried about getting sick, or are you just worried about the types of foods that you'll get? Well, I mean, I'm not a I'm not an adventurous eater to begin with, but I can I can eat you know almost anything, but I'm not gonna eat weird weird stuff. But I'm just worried about eating something that has some kind of, you know, something in it that my body's not used to having, and then I'm gonna be in my hotel room, you know. But first, so this is like specifically my hotel room toilet. (laughs) This four years ago was my first like going out and traveling by myself in Vietnam was the first place that I picked to go to, and Mm -hmm. the first meal that I had was sitting down and getting like street food from some random lady. And this huge, she had this huge pot, you know, of just, I don't know, I don't even know what I ate. I was eating, I was like, I don't know what that is, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Mystery meats, and I was fine, I was fine. I grew up in the Midwest too, but I've definitely outgrown that, <laughs> the Midwest uh, eating a lot. Very, I'm much more an adventurous eater, but um, you'll be fine. Just bring, you know, bring what, what's Imodium? <laughs> Imodium AD? Yeah. Yes, bring yeah. that, just in case, because you never know. A couple, a couple of gallons of that I'll bring along. <laughs> 
it's always smart, always travel with that anyways, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and no no disrespect against Vietnam, because like, I went to Hawaii and I ate something weird, and mm, I was anywhere. in my hotel room for a couple hours. So. It can happen in your hometown, it can happen anywhere, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy, but that, I'm excited, I'm going to pick your brain offline sure. about that, because yeah, I'm, I'm doing the whole, what? What should I not bring? <laughs> I'm like, I'm going light, man. I'm going mm-hmm. Derek Story, nimble photography style out there. You and, know? and a drone. And a drone. <laughs> and maybe a drone, yes. Maybe a drone. Hey, what are you bringing? What camera uh, are you bringing? I'm bringing my, uh, my Panasonic G7 and maybe a GH4 with nice. me. And then I'm, I'm trying to cut it down to maybe three lenses. You know, maybe not even that, but like there just, just there, a couple. There is one uh, good backpack that... Uh, uh, I think tank makes airport mm. accelerator. I think, oh. uh, and it can carry your drone. DJI three fits in there. Uh, oh. It can carry two cameras and a couple of lenses. Oh, all in one. So I need that. It's the accelerator, airport accelerator. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it's airport accelerator. The one that doesn't have the uh, wheels, so it has slightly more capacity than the wheeled one. Okay. Um, and it's just uh, it's just excellent because like you have ev- everything that's you carry on is like all your. And it's a, is it backpack style? Yep. Yeah. Yes. You'll probably right. also want like a tra- you know walk around town bag to like a messenger bag or something. Yeah. So, I'm trying to get the I'm trying to get those Peak Design folks to send me one of those. Bags. I know those look so beautiful, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They'll. I'm. I've been waiting forever. I'm. It's I, like a unicorn. <laughs> I just bought a. I just got an Ona bag, a really small one. I can't remember what kind it was, like Bowery or something. And uh, I'm gonna try that because I've got a trip to Italy coming up, and I'm trying to. I'm. I'm traveling much more lighter than I usually do for my camera gear. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I always travel. Whenever I travel anywhere, it's always always bring a messenger bag to throw a couple lenses in. So you don't want to. You don't want to walk around in the backpack. It's unless you're like landscape or hiking or something like that so so you're saying you're suggesting I get the like Evgeny's talking about this airport accelerator so that'll mm-hmm. be like my main thing that'll be like then... you haul your stuff around from place to place like when yeah. you're like if you're moving from hotel room to hotel room and getting on the train or something and then that also have camp. yes and then also have like a small um everyday bag or even a small backpack or you know messenger bag it's usually that's yeah. usually what I do Okay. I prefer. The, I like. I can the, throw my little crap in yes, there. And, yes. Yeah. Okay. But it really depends on your kind of like lifestyle because if you want to fly drones uh, and you don't have it with you, you don't have it, right? So. No. That's true. I, but yeah, I don't want to ruin the trip with a drone. See, because I'm a, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You know, I want to, I want to bring the drone, but I don't. The drone, the drone is coming with me to Vietnam. I'm not going with the drone to Vietnam. <laughs> but, but trust me, every single thing that you see. From the ground, looks way more amazing from the, <laughs> from the air. <laughs> when I when I see the footage from uh, from Italy, for example, and I see yeah. like the stuff that I shot on the ground and uh, the footage from the air, I'm like, wow, I'm I'm getting one <laughs> ASAP. I know I'm gonna break it again. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because so you're going to Vietnam, you want to pick my brain. I'm going to Italy, so I need to pick his brain. <laughs> oh, look at that! There's a whole lot of picking going on. Yeah, a lot of picking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Before we continue our picking, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about Adobe apologizing for the recent issues they had with Lightroom and how they backtracked and restored previous import functionality after its users called foul. This episode of TWIP is sponsored by iFi. iFi has a brand new vision for helping you manage your photography. Here's how they look at photography workflows, old versus new. The old way, point, 
shoot, download, organize, back up, die of boredom, then rinse and repeat. The new way, point, shoot, and iFi. iFi pulls all of your original resolution photos from your digital camera and smartphone and puts them into a single, intelligently organized library. This library is then immediately viewable from all of your devices, and iFi backs up everything to the cloud as well as your desktop automatically. The best thing is you can try it for free today, twip.pro slash iFi. That's T-W-I-P dot P-R-O slash iFi. And we'd like to thank iFi for their support of this week in photo. All right, guys, we're back. Uh, like I said before the break, Adobe has apologized for Lightroom 6.2, and they brought back the old import module. This comes to us from Petapixel and pretty much the rest of the internet. <laughs> so, so, essentially, uh, so essentially, you know, you heard it. It's basically they pushed out an update. Tom Hogarty, who is, you know, one of the main people in charge over there at Adobe, said uh, he wrote an, a mea culpa to a user saying, hey, we pushed this thing out way too fast, and we broke our core mantra of pushing out updates in concert with our users' opinions, et cetera, et cetera. And as a result they pushed out this thing that took away lots of functionality and just plain didn't work right. So the internet cried foul as they do really, really loudly, especially when you're messing with something as core as Lightroom is to many people's workflows. So people said, hey, dude, what what are you guys doing? This is a mess. Fix it. Adobe, to their credit, and kind of unprecedentedly in, in Silicon Valley in a lot of ways, rolled back and said, okay, Let's go back to what we did. We're going to fix this. But before we fix it, let's just give you what you had before. So they did that. Evgeny, you saw this whole ker- kerfluffle, kind of like our scheduling kerfluffle tonight. You saw this whole thing. What, what do you think? Did Adobe do the right thing? Or as, as a person that runs a large, important company, should they have said, you know what, suck it up, and we're, you know, this is the price of change, deal with it, or go, go somewhere else? Yeah, it's it's really hard one. Uh, for one, I haven't seen the new import live because again, I was traveling, so the internet connection wasn't that great to upload the um, the new Lightroom, which I think was uh, a net positive in the end. Um, but frankly, you're right; it is kind of unprecedented for a big company to uh, roll back the changes. Totally. Yeah. Like um, Apple, Apple would have said, "What? I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't, I don't care what you're saying. This is Final Cut Pro 10." I, I, I think they have a quote for that. You're holding it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and it, it, well, it really depends on the company because, for one, for Lightroom, it's 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 currently cloud software, so you kind of mm-hmm. like really this is your critical workflow. But it's it doesn't belong to you anymore. You rent right. it for for a fee each month, um, and I think that's kind of like makes the change why why they rolled it back. Because if this is a critical piece of software that you make your money or your living off, or even if you are an artist and you make your art uh, off that, you want it to work the way you like it. Yeah. Uh, and you want or at least the way that you've been accustomed to it working. Right, because yeah. you want to know about the changes coming. So yeah. if that's a critical piece of your software that's in the cloud, you probably want to have uh, a bit of control. Because imagine before, right, you would buy uh, a version of Photoshop out, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And people would get 
you know, they would stick with their like CS5 for years because that's what they're used to. Uh, not just, for, well, partially because of the cost, but big part because they were used to everything. Uh, all the presets and actions and whatever and buttons and everything. So they wouldn't switch for many, many years. And now with the cloud cycle, you know, you get updates whenever Adobe feels that they have something to release. Yeah. So uh, I think that's cha uh, that changes the dy dynamic. And uh, if would it be the offline software it was before, uh, there will be no rollback. It will be like a new version of Lightroom, and you just this is what you get when you upgrade, basically. Yeah. When you pay. Yeah, it's scary though. I mean, you hit it right on the head. This the we're in the age of cloud and things kind of changing dynamically and constantly, kind of like the clouds do, right? So, so what happens is, you know, it would be kind of like Tesla, right? Elon Musk pushing out an update to all Teslas that now when you turn the car counterclockwise, instead of it turning left, it turns right. You know, you're like, you're like, but dude, I just need to get to work. Stop with the changes. You know, I just, you know, if they did something that fundamental, it's, I mean, not that Adobe, what Adobe did will, you know, cause deaths or anything, but it was kind of that fundamental. And you'd think that it was that critical from the outcry from the internet. Nicole, you use Lightroom, mm -hmm. right? When you, you, did you get impacted by this bug? Uh, yeah, so I actually I usually update right away. Like when I Me see too, yeah. a little thing, I update, update. And for some reason, I just held it off a little bit. And mm -hmm. my husband Brian Matias, he updated his uh, version to the new one, and it was crashing, it was crashing, it was crashing. So I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I think I'm gonna hold off on updating if mm -hmm. it's actually giving people problems. So. Uh, and then he was talking about the import dialogue, and I hadn't even gotten to it yet. Um, but, you know, finally they fixed the bugs. So I was like, all right, it's time to update. I updated, and I actually, I don't mind the, sorry, just a second. I'm hearing an echo somewhere. I hear that, too. I'm, not, I'm not sure where that's coming from, but I'm hearing there, it a little bit, too. Just there. Okay, sorry about that. I can't, I'm like one of those people who can't talk if I keep hearing my own echo back and forth. So, so I updated to uh, the new version, and I, I don't, I can adapt really easily. <laughs> I there are some things I do miss that eject on import because I use that all the time. And now I keep uh, I keep pulling my card out of the reader when after it's imported and it, I get the little notice like you just did not eject properly. And I'm like, oh, it's because I'm used to that auto eject thing. Um, but you know, I I have to say I applaud Adobe for listening to their customer base. Not necessarily for changing and rolling it back because that's not always a guarantee that they're going to do something as big as that. But definitely for listening. And in this case. Uh, I'm sure they saw all of the feedback, and they, you know, I saw just a few people uh, post, you know, on on Facebook or wherever they were complaining about the new import. Um, but they really took it to heart, and they they probably got some info input from people they really respected, and they changed it. And I think that's really great that they're listening to people. Uh, it, so it's it's really hard to say. Like I said, I, I'm one of those people I can adapt to new things very easily, mm -hmm. but don't take my features away from me. If you're gonna give me something. Don't take it away. <laughs> Give right. it, make it optional, uh, unless it's like so completely obsolete that it's not even used, and it takes so much energy to continually adding it to new versions. But uh, taking features away is a no-no. It's you know, it, but you know, people don't like change in general. Like Yevgeny learned with the whole logo, and that was just a logo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, but even there's change. I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm nodding my head to, to almost everything. <laughs> there's there's change for. You know, in this for the sake of progress, which is I'm all for. Like you, Nicole, I'm like, okay, oh, this is different. They're pushing, they're pushing the envelope. That's called innovation in technology, right? <laughs> I 
we yeah. do here in Silicon Valley. Um, but then there's change for change's sake, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like, okay, we got to change something, and we have this long laundry list of features, and we need to get these into the next release. No one's really asking for them, but we're going to put these in anyway because, like Steve Jobs said, they don't know what they, don't, what they need, right? So, you know, there's, there's a fine line in there. But I think when you cross the line, I think, and I'm with you, Nicole. I, I applaud Adobe for, for being taking the high road and making this change and rolling back. But when you, when, you, when you push a change like this forward and it affects the fundamental workflow and incomes, I mean, you're, I'm sure they cost people money, you know, with this. You know, because they're running their entire business and livelihoods on Lightroom in a lot of ways, right? So when you when you start messing with that fundamentally, then people get pissed off. Like I said, in the case of Tesla, it's like you know you're changing the fundamental operation of the car. You're not just giving me a new UI to Google on my flat my my 17 inch screen in the car. Mm -hmm. You're changing the fundamental way of how the car works. You know that is when people get you know a little pissed yeah. off. It's also an issue of not, like, a lot of people who use Lightroom are, I guess, I don't know, power users. There are a lot of power users out there, people who use it. Like, I understand the entire dialogue window when, it, when the import thing comes up. I don't necessarily use everything, but I understand it. Mm -hmm. And when all of a sudden it's, like, scaled back, it's kind of like the Apple scenario. Like, we're, you know, a lot of us who are really hardcore Apple users or we, we really like our Apple systems, we worry that Apple is changing it to a consumer-based product, and eventually oh. all they're going to have are iPads with keyboards, you know? I don't want that. I want to keep my iMac or a Mac Pro or whatever pro-level version they have. You know, we don't want the same thing to happen to software like Lightroom because that's such a powerful software. A lot of people use it. And unfortunately, things like this kind of push people away and people are looking for other alternatives. Mm -hmm. And I mean, because there are, things are growing. Uh, now, I probably will never switch because I just like Adobe products. I'm really, in, you know, immersed in them. I have a lot of other things I use with them. And I just like it. And I, I'm really good with change, but I, when you like something and you use it, you, sometimes you just don't want to change. <laughs> so, yeah, and you 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 go with the flow. You're yeah. like, ah, okay, that, exactly. that's not so good, but I'm going to keep using it anyway. Yeah, it takes a I lot to push me off course. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, the we need. I mean, I love Adobe too. You know, I'm using. I use their products religiously. I use Macs, all this stuff. You know, so I'm I'm in the fold there. But you're right, there's a lot of really cool, and we're going to do a whole show on this, because there's all this other cool, really capable software out there from MacFun, from On One, from Google, from, I mean, it goes on and on. There's lots of alternatives out there to people that don't want to, A, pay Adobe subscription fees, or B, don't agree with the business model or how the software operates or the mm -hmm. cloud thing because of these types of changes. So, which is good for the industry overall. You don't want to be, you don't want to live in a world where, the the only viable solution to a problem is one company, right? Because mm -hmm. then that company gets lazy yeah. and you're beholden to them and their customer support won't pick up the phone and now you're screwed, <laughs> right? Yeah. So well, change change is good and options are good, but mm -hmm. yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think you know the power that I have in the Adobe suite is like the, what I need is like this, you know, mm -hmm. is like a, like two inches long. And what they provide is like yeah. a mile long, right? And yeah. I don't think I could ever grow into that mile for the things that <laughs> I need to do. So, yeah, I don't know. It's all good. You've getting, So post-processing on your side, the stuff that you're doing, like what are you, uh, what, what are you using post-processing-wise? 
Yeah, well, it's mostly Lightroom, um, though I'm kind of like exploring other options um, like uh, MacFun and OnOne software, uh, and I really want to get into the Capture One, you know, workflow. So it's kind of like a bunch of things. Uh, I'm really surprised about the health uh, of the competition uh, and kind of like a new companies. Uh, cropping up and building really nice tools either on top of Lightroom and Photoshop um, or building a whole new set of tools altogether. So this is something that I think it's kind of like uh, pretty healthy for the industry. So it's yeah. nice nice to see all around. But yeah, I just like to explore things. Uh, like to see new um, new tools. So constantly trying something new. Even if they do, if it doesn't stick, I just want to see like what's you know what's out there basically. Yeah. No. No. I agree. Yeah. That's we're all we're all three of us are the same people in terms of like you know being geeks and wanting to try new stuff. <laughs> so, so I love trying new stuff too. All right, guys. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the NPAA suing the state of Wyoming for threatening photographers' rights with a recent law that criminalizes data collection data collection read pixels in open land this episode of this week in photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy to use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing you can try FreshBooks for free just head over to freshbooks.com twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up and as i've said on this week in photo before we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know, as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know, all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain. And thankfully, FreshBook offers us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or, you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, you can invoice clients. It's easy. You can do it in seconds and expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your on your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports. You can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so so that you're staying out of trouble. So grab some popcorn, learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars. I'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out. Once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com slash twip, enter the code this week in photo or twip in the how did you hear about us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com slash twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of this week in photo. All right, guys, we're back. We're going to dive into story number three here. So the National Press Photographers Association, a.k.a. NPPA, announced this week that it has joined in on a new lawsuit filed against the state of Wyoming 
over uh, recent laws that criminalize data collecting on open land. So among other things, the MPAA or MPPA, sorry, is arguing that the laws put photojournalists on the wrong end of the law for legitimate work. So we talked about this back in May. This was called the data trespass law, and it was allegedly pushed forward by the powerful ranch community or ranching community in Wyoming. This is a group that is said to have an interest in covering up the fact that many streams in the state have been contaminated by E. coli from their grazing cows. And I want to I want to highlight allegedly. So we don't know that for sure, but this is this is what we're reporting. And all of this comes to us from Petapixel. And the law that they're putting forth makes it a crime for people to collect resource data for example, photography, from open land if the person intends on submitting that data to a federal or state agency. So they're saying, that's so funny, they're saying, if you take pictures on open land here and you just, and your, your reason for taking that photo is to put it somewhere that might do us harm and tell on us, that's illegal. So photographers immediately reached into the law arguing that it's overreaching you think, in terms of infringing upon photographers' rights. So the NPPA says that the laws are written so expansively that they could even be interpre interpreted to criminalize submission of photographs to the National Park Service from some popular tourist sites like the Grand Tetons, Devil's Tower, and one of my favorite places, Yosemite National Park. Uh, Nicole, we, you know, we... <laughs> What do you think about this? You do some landscape photography. I've mm -hmm. seen some of your amazing shots all over the place. If, like, the, what do you think? I think mean, it's just crazy. What do you think? I think it's I think it's a lobbyist who got you know is working with a person up on the hill who is trying to keep their business up and yeah, doesn't like yeah. that people are potentially getting them in trouble for things they're doing wrong. That's that's how I see this, and I, it's it's ridiculous if you're on, if you're on public property. You can take any picture as long as you're not photographing into somebody's house or something like that, you know, and through a window. And this is obviously not even in near that type of uh, scenario, so it's it's ridiculous. You know, people could take innocent photographs and then post them on Facebook and get in trouble. <laughs> Unless, um, but what is the intent to, you know, what does they say the the intent to uh, give them to a federal organization or whatever? I don't know. I think it's ridiculous, and it I, is, I it's completely ridiculous. And I'm, well, I'm I'm still scratching my head about it because I'm thinking. <laughs> Like, in in this country, or in any country, can you legislate, like, <laughs> like the usage of, of a photo? Like, Evgeny, like, you see this, right? You're like, okay, it's okay. Like, I could say, it's okay if you come stand in my front yard and take photos. Let's say my front yard's a national park that's publicly <laughs> accessible. You can come stand in my front yard and take pictures of deer, but... If you decide to use those deer in a magazine that is not vegan, assuming you're saying I'm a vegetarian, that is not vegan, then that's prohibited. But you can use them for other things. I mean, like, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, but it's been used, uh, I think, in a similar sense before. So, for example, if you take, um, you know, private photos of someone without their consent, and you keep them to yourself without telling anyone, chances mm -hmm. are you will not be prosecuted. But if you decided to sell them to, you know, to some kind of magazine or something, 
you can be prosecuted for infringing on the yeah, that's expectation of privacy though right, and, uh, right, right, right. on public land I could see if Justin Bieber were standing in Yellowstone National Park and I was taking pictures of him that'd be a different <laughs> why, conversation. why you always have to pick on Canadians <laughs> Hey, he's an easy Canadian to pick yeah, on. I'm just saying. <laughs> but you know, Justin Bieber standing there versus we will have know, to ship nickel back to to you as well. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but but seriously, if I'm taking pictures of of him, a celebrity in in Yellowstone versus right. you know a, a you know a, some wildlife right. out there. Yeah, frankly, my take on that, uh, I see a lot of stupid laws. Uh, a, a lot of the time, especially when you read uh, on them in the news or some kind of like uh, blogs, w what I'm concerned is that do we are we even going to see any cases of that? Mm -hmm. And if there is not a single case of that happening, you know the law is there, but it's so ridiculous that nobody ever wants to actually go in court with that and fight that. Uh, so for me, that that's a pretty important distinction. So it, it, it could be an overreaching law, and it could be uh, ridiculous, but if no one ever uh, goes to court and tries to either fine or some kind of like uh, tries to stop you from sharing those photos, then who cares, right? Like, yeah. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of obsolete laws that are still out there uh, in every country in the world, and they just they're just not enforced. So I think that's it's scary, though. I mean, that's like that's like saying, you know, we know Facebook's terms of service says that they have access to your firstborn for the first five years, but they'll never act on it. So it doesn't really matter. But it's they still wrote it in there. You know, that's 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 a scary way of thinking, right? Because have you ever read Apple's terms of service? I'm afraid to. No, no. <laughs> have you? <laughs> There's probably something in there about your firstborn. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know. Hey, I know some people that'd be okay with that. So. <laughs> Do, dog, dogs don't cat in that scenario, do they? <laughs> uh, oh man. Yeah, but yeah. but I, I think it's part of the uh, you know the politics and the part that I usually hate commenting on because it's just it just seems to be that that. Uh, that's what they like to do: enact some laws and then uh, uh, revoke those laws, and then enact some more law laws and then revoke some more laws, and yeah. just kind of like that keeps them busy for for the whole life, basically. I wonder how this would like say. Put, let's put this in practice, right? Let's say, let's let, and let's weave the whole show together, right? So the first story was about drone legalization, right? So. Let's say I go to Yosemite National Park. I bring my brand new Phantom 3 professional out there, which is illegal, by the which way, because illegal. it's a national yeah. park to yeah. begin with, so I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> let's, let's just say that I did that. You know, I'm flying around Yosemite, or Yellowstone, rather, with this, with this drone, and I'm taking photos, you know, from the air um, with, the, with the camera on the thing. Um, those photos that I take, say... A portion of them, I decide, you know, I'm just going to put them on Facebook or I'm going to make a gallery, I'm going to put them online. But then there's one or two that, you know, the this this these people that are suing the, the farmers out there, the ranching community in Wyoming, they say, oh, that's a perfect shot. That demonstrates E. coli from their <laughs> grazing evil cows, right? And they want that shot of the evil E. coli spreading cows, you know, that I took from my theoretical quadcopter and I give it to them 
Now what? So now does that mean that I'm liable for suit and that they're going to come after me? Or does that mean in Yevgeny land that they're not going to come after me because it was just kind of written in there? You know, Yevgeny, what, what do you think? I think you should better hire a really good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> like, first of all, count one, illegally operating an aircraft <laughs> in, in state park land. Count two, violating this data trespass law. All right. And probably just agree to the, uh, to the lowest uh, minimum sentence or to the lowest fine that you can get. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that that would be not a conversation that I want to have in jail about, you know, trying to look, trying to look hard, you know, like, hey, hey, man, what are you in here for? Uh, yeah, the dude, dude over there is in for murder. He's in for tax evasion, <laughs> and this guy was flying a drone in Yellowstone. <laughs> Took a picture of a cow. Taking <laughs> a shot of a cow grazing. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was a beautiful photo. <laughs> yeah. It would not be good. Not be good. I don't know. It's it's scary. I mean, all this stuff. You're right, Evgeny. You know, you're if they wanted to prosecute, if in that hypothetical situation, they could they could lock me up, right? Because I broke the law and probably knowingly after, especially after recording this episode. Nicole, what, what, what about you? In that hypothetical situation, what, what do you think would go down? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would make sure that I license the photo of them for a lot of money so I could afford the legal fees. <laughs> you, you come out zero or like five bucks ahead. Yeah, after exactly, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully not too much time wasted. I know, it's crazy. And you know what, you'd make, you'd make news, so yeah. it'd probably bring awareness to the whole situation and how ridiculous it is. And Yeah, so uh, I'd become a martyr, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just kinda, I think the whole thing just makes them look suspicious. It's like... Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a criminal saying, you know, there's a law now. You can't take pictures of criminals doing criminal activity. That's right, yeah. <laughs> At all. Legal, but, I, you know, everything's legal, but, you know, we know we're not supposed to be fracking on this land. <laughs> so don't take any photos of people fracking on this land is illegal. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. If there's no trespassing involved, then there's there's no there should be no no issue at all. They're, they should be able to do whatever they want. So yeah, no, I agree. All right, guys, we're gonna take a, our our last break here. When we come back, we're gonna tackle some listener Q and A. This show is brought to you by Audible.com. They're the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than one hundred thousand downloadable titles across all types of literature, and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And one book that I'm listening to right now, I almost said reading, but I'm not really reading it. I'm kind of listening to it because it's an audiobook. But it's uh, it's called The $100 Startup by Chris Gillibo. And you spell his last name G-U-I-L-L-E-B-E-A-U. And what's interesting about this book is many of you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I'm really sort of uh, half of my brain is photography, the other half is marketing. And the marketing side of my brain leaks into the photography side <laughs> from time to time. Um, and this book kind of straddles both of those because it's, it's kind of one of those books that, that I love because they, they do these sort of um, uh, case studies of different people that have been successful with these micro businesses, like one, two person businesses that are just making exponentially more money than they were making in their corporate jobs. And it's just really, really interesting to hear some of the success stories and get enthusiastic about 
people that are doing this stuff and and sort of uh, going against the grain. And uh, the title of the book, the title of the book is the one hundred dollar startup. So he talks about these small companies that sort of follow the thirty seven signals rule of not taking investment income. You bootstrap it yourself, and voila, you have a company that's sort of you know, it's uh, it's like fusion, you know, it's generating its own replenishing energy source. So definitely give it a listen. Um, once again, that's the $100 startup by Chris Gillibo. And if you want to get that for free for our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to kick the tires and uh, try out the service. And uh, if you want to get that, just head over to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com dot com slash twip now let's get back to our program all right it's time for some listener q a this week's question is from tony froud and tony says i would like to know how you manage your lightroom catalog with two computers one desktop and one laptop for travel i currently do all of my edits on a 13 inch macbook pro with an external drive but would like to get something larger like an imac to edit on when i'm at home and maybe host all of my images on a NAS, which is a network attached storage, or a cloud system. How do you guys handle multiple computers with the single Lightroom catalog? Hmm, Nicole, I have a feeling you might do this from time to time. What do you well, think? I actually, I don't, I handle multiple computers. I have yeah. my iMac and I also have uh, my laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the Creative Cloud, you know, Lightroom and all that, but I don't use one catalog for all of that. Uh, so a good example is I was just visiting my family in Nebraska, and I brought my laptop with me, brought my camera gear, and it's basically kind of like a, I consider it like my travel Lightroom catalog. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I, I took pictures of my nephews and my nieces, put my photos onto my laptop, and I just import them just like I normally would into that catalog, and I still actually haven't done this yet, so I'm reminding myself. I'm going to take that laptop and connect it to my iMac and there's you can just do it with the lightning cable and then open it as basically like a hard drive and just re- basically I'm just going to relocate that ca- all of that catalog export it as a catalog import it as a catalog so I'm basically just importing the photos from one catalog to another catalog yeah. and that's how I manage it um, if I need photos so if I need to access photos for, let's say, I, oh, I need to write this blog post and I forgot to write it, I'm going to travel and I know what photos I'm going to use, I put those into a collection in my uh, in the in Lightroom and I sync it to cloud and then I use the uh, my phone. Actually, I sync it to the what's it called the Lightroom mobile app on my yeah. phone. So yeah. that's how I access. If I need if I have some photos I need to access or like sometimes I have photos I share to Instagram and they're photos I took a few months ago have that on my Lightroom catalog, uh, in a, sorry, in a collection that just syncs to my phone. Um, that Unfortunately, and I hope that, I really hope that they add this feature in the future, it would be great if they would kind of merge the syncable features from mobile to desktop to sync from desktop to desktop. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe at first, if they ever did, it'd probably be like a limited capacity. But um, so anyways, so bottom line, my answer is I don't just work off of one catalog. I do back at home. I have like my main catalog and then I have like a travel catalog. And I just I work don't. Exa- I'm, I'm exactly yeah. the same. I, I, do exactly I don't even same. know. I'm sure that there's a Lightroom guru out there who, you know, lives and breathes Lightroom and they probably have an answer on how to do this. I don't know if Lightroom is really made to work off of like a network or a cloud-based system. It'd be kind of... 
I'd be a little afraid to do it, and maybe it's just like the old-fashioned Adobe person in me, you know, not wanting to to get too much into like networks and stuff because of there's so many moving parts with everything. Um, yeah. I'd worry that the database would somehow get confused about where things are located if a file or a folder gets renamed or just has a you know something, then everything kind of gets a little question mark. So. Yeah, I keep it pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of that. Yeah, less yeah. is more and less complexity and fewer mm-hmm. steps is always better. I'm the same way. I mean, I have, a, I have an iMac here, which is my workstation in my little home office here. And then I have a 13-inch MacBook Pro like Tony has. And I'm like you, Nicole. I have, a, I have a, my shuttlecraft, yep. <laughs> you know, Lightroom <laughs> library that goes with me, and I'll do edits on that. But it's always temporary. Yep. When I'm done with doing my little work on there, that stuff gets imported back into my main system here, which I call the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. So that gets, <laughs> that gets stuck back into the Library of Congress for safekeeping, and then I start fresh again on yeah. the on the portable, which has limited SSD storage, obviously. Yeah, so, the, the key thing to that is that there you can do all the edits you want on your photos. On, if you do it that way, whatever's on your, on your laptop, I have the same exact same setup with a 13-inch MacBook Pro. If I make a bunch of edits and do all sorts of things, all of those changes, if I if I do it properly, you basically you export it as a catalog, yep. <laughs> and then you import it as a catalog, and then you just yep. move the files. That's all you have to do. Um, you don't even have to you don't have to re-edit your photos. So no. yeah, that's all how the I work. Go right? with them. Yeah. yeah. So so then on my downtime, like when I when I was in Iceland and Norway, I I had we had a lot of downtime, just kind of sitting around, you know. I didn't say a lot, but we we had some downtime. So I'm like, oh, let me edit a bunch of my photos, merge my panos, merge my HDRs, and I didn't have a lot to do when I got home. So it's it was kind of nice just to be able to do that while I was on the road and thinking about it. Yeah, you have a supercomputer with you, right? So mm-hmm. why not, why yeah. not do it on the road with you? Yevgeny, what about you, man? What's your what's your flow? You're always on the road. How do you manage the, uh, your images? I just have one computer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You solved it. <laughs> No more syncing, nothing. Just one computer. Yeah. But I, but I heard the rumor that um, uh, that some use Dropbox for their catalog, mm. and then you can access that uh, basically like point that uh, on your iMac or any other computer, and it's just gonna work there. So your your mm. your photos can be somewhere else. They can be on an external hard drive, for example. Yeah. Uh, but your catalog, which is lighter, uh, could be just in uh, in your Dropbox, for example. Yeah, we probably want to check with Tom Hogarty and the Adobe <laughs> folks on that because I have a feeling they, if they're listening to this, they're going to be like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's asking for trouble with database corruption. and Well, all that yeah. if, if they don't support it officially, they'll probably have to do it by Friday when the episode is, <laughs> I guess. You know, Dropbox, however, Dropbox is a good place to back up your catalog if, you know, if you don't. And then maybe you could access that when you're on the road. Just Depending on how much space you've paid for with Dropbox. True. <laughs> I have, like, too much space on my Dropbox, though. Yeah, I've got a ton, too, but uh, I don't know. You know. But it goes back to that other issue. Like, like when we started the show, Nicole, we're using this cloud service to do um, offline recording, mm-hmm. but that service was down. So now... Oh, but that's why it wouldn't load for me. <laughs> yeah, that's why it wouldn't load for you. And and now we, ha- we don't have a backup for the show. Oh, See, I and that's, but even this show, even with the Hangouts, we're reliant on the cloud True. for this, you know? So yeah, we like, will do you know. really <laughs> want to put your Lightroom cloud, your library in the cloud too? <laughs> you be, yeah, I, I hope I didn't, you know, I was in that one where it just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth, so. Yeah, yeah, you remember that? Yeah. I, I do, that's, what probably, that's probably why you're doing the backup now. <laughs> exactly, and now we don't have a backup because yes. that is wow. now down. It was See? me, it's, it was me. It's I did like it. chasing, <laughs> it's, we're, we're chasing the horizon with this show. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> 
All right, I think I think that was good. Good answers all around. Nicole and I do the same thing. Evgeny has solved the synchronization issue by not syncing at all. Having <laughs> one one computer. All right, listeners, if you have a question you'd like us to tackle on the show, just visit us at thisweekinphoto.com. Click on that submit a question link and send us your question. Or you can also tweet us through uh, our Facebook or through Twitter, obviously, or hit us up on Facebook. We're there as well. All right, we're going to end the show with our picks of the week. Remember, you guys can pick anything to recommend to the Twip folks as long as it is somehow related to photography. Nicole, I'm going to let you go first. Sure. What's your pick of the week? I have two. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. All right. My first one is a birthday present that my husband got me. Ooh. And he bought it for me because it's a bag, the Mindshift Gear Backlight 26L. Oh, and, and we know how photographers he, hate bags, right? I, I have so many bags. Um, he bought one for himself, and I looked at it, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> it looks really nice. Uh, I use the f-stop gear bags a lot when I do a lot of my landscape photography because I really like the way that you can, like if you're wearing the, the waist strap, you can flip the bag around, and then the zipper is on the, basically the part that touches your back. It's on that side, so you can flip it up and then access your gear without having to set your bag on the floor. Um, I really, really like that setup. Uh, the... The f-stop bags, though, however, they have some things that I think are missing. Like, there's not a dedicated laptop space. So you don't really have a padded area to put your laptop or other, uh, you know, like, accessories like that. Uh, however, this new MindShift bag is kind of like the answer to, it's like a nice blend of a, a MindShift think tank bag, travel bag, and the f-stop bag, where it's a really good size. I, I just used it, actually, yesterday and today for the first time. Um, but it has a lot of space in it. It has, you know, the, the way that it flips out is the way that I really prefer. Um, it has a spot, a spot just for a laptop and an iPad and, like, other pockets. And it has a pocket that's so deep that an entire water bottle fits in it instead of just, like, half of it. So then you're worried, you know, the water bottle is going to fall out, et cetera. You stick your tripod on it. Uh, it's, it's a, like, it's, it could be the perfect bag for, really? like, backpack bag. It's oh, it's really 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 close. Check. It's really really close, and you know I've, I'm going to take it with me when I go to Italy. It's going to be my bag that I haul things around with, and then I'm going to use a messenger bag for the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, but I'm yeah, so that's has a really good potential for being a really good bag. Um, I believe my husband did a, a video review on it. He may have, I shouldn't say anything because I'm not sure if he did it or not, but. I'll look it up, and if I did, maybe you I guys can post that I think he wanted to, but I think it's, it's not live yet. Oh, it's not live yet. I'll have to ask him. So, but anyway. Did, yeah. Uh, right. It's actually, I think, one of my uh, uh, bags on my wish list as well, because I've been one. using Mindshift bag, uh, the uh, uh, the smaller one and the bigger one than this, mm -hmm. uh, the rotation ones. And they're really good, but I'm really eager to just kind of like uh, spice things up and try something <laughs> different. Um, so we'll see if I'm going to get it or not, uh, because I think I have too many bags. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, oh man, okay. tell me about it. I just gave a bag to my friend because I was like, take it, I have too many. Yeah. And it was like a brand new bag. Um, okay, so that's my first one. Highly recommend if you're into that, you know, if, if, if it's a bag, the size of the bag suits your need, then it's a really good bag. Light, comfortable, etc. My second one, and I think I may have done this one last time, is the new On One Photo 10. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's going to be released by the end of the month. And so I, I love On One software. I um, use it all the time, and I'm really excited for it. So I just wanted to push it out there. They're, you know, they're upgrading to the next big version. Yeah, I mean, that goes along with what we were talking about before, with there are other softwares yeah, out they, there 
that yeah. are amazing with amazing teams behind them that are building stuff. So, yeah, they're yeah we we all love Adobe, but yeah, don't don't go through life with blinders on. Try other stuff and exactly. check out the other things out there too. All right. So that's that's photo ten coming. You know what that yeah. what that's going to cost when it comes out, Nicole? Uh, off the top of my head, the upgrade price is eighty nine dollars, and I think it's one hundred nineteen for the full version. Like, so if you okay. don't have on one, then you pay the full version. Uh, but that's you know, you, it's it's just pay it and you and then you have the the software, and I believe you get the the dot upgrades throughout the year as they you know, they come out with the improving taking bugs out and all that stuff uh, yeah. that comes with any kind of new software that comes out. So, but they're like revamping the entire interface, so it's gonna look. It looks good. It looks. I've been working on the beta, and it looks really good. So, um, right. yeah, I'm excited for it. All right. So much stuff to try. So little time. <laughs> I know. I might download with download that and play with it on the plane on my way to Vietnam. There you go. There you go. Yeah, perfect. All right. Thanks, Nicole. Perfect. Yevgeny, what is your pick of the week? Well, I'll have to as well. Uh, I'll start with a simple one. So on my trip, I've been extensively using the app that many many of the landscape photographers would know. It's called Photo Pills. Um, Photo Pills, basically yeah. The feature that I was using is where the sunset and uh, sunrise are. Uh, really useful for planning, uh, you know, depending on the weather, depending on the location spot that you pick. So I, I downloaded that the first time when I was in Iceland, but I haven't used it a lot. Uh, and started using it quite a bit on my last trips, so it, uh, I think it was really useful for people who are willing to wake up really early uh, and stay up late for sunsets. Mm -hmm. So, um, photo pills in the App Store. Uh, I don't know if they have the Android version, but they definitely have the one for iPhone. Cool. I love that app. That has so many things you can use. Like, my newest favorite thing in that is the hyperfocal table. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's such a dorky, geeky landscape thing, but so, yeah. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to download that right after the show. You don't have it yet? I do not. Oh, it's it's pricey. <laughs> is it? How much is that? I don't remember. I think like 12 bucks or 13 bucks. Oh, man. I don't, oh, know I don't remember. Being so I remember it was one of the pricier it's, apps that I got, but... Uh, it's worth it, though. I guess it's worth it, yeah. It is worth yeah. it. All right. Hey, if you guys recommend it, then it's worth it. So. <laughs> Yeah, and the second pick is the small photo sharing website that you might know um, called Fire and PX. So <laughs> just want to throw you know, it out. You, you just, know you're going to go blind if you do that too much, right? <laughs> just just want to throw it out there. We have a lot of uh, interesting announcements coming up, so Nicole's probably aware of some of them. Uh, you know, we had our major redesign, uh, just a few... I think we rolled it out last week to, for everyone, uh, but we've been testing and we've been rolling out features um, every week or so. We did a major logo redesign, and there is a major, major announcement uh, for our next expansion into China. Uh, so that is going to be happening in the next uh, few days and few weeks. So. Uh, basically brings a whole new audience to um, to photographers. Uh, for a lot of other networks, as I mentioned, like almost every other social network, whether it's photo or video or uh, just a social network, they are blocked in China. Um, so only a small fraction of users access those through VPN, and it's like it's extremely slow. So we're building something that's going to be fast for local users. Uh, for all 1.4 billion uh, Chinese customers that are out there. 
Um, so it's pretty exciting um, to opening this uh, this up to you know to the world. That that's I mean congratulations first of all, but that's um, I know you can't share this, but I, when you say one point, would you say how many billion? One point what? It's one point thirty six to be 1. exact. One <laughs> billion potential new customers to five hundred px. That's uh, that's kind of cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, especially considering that it's almost it's going to be an exclusive uh, way for people to be present in China. So wow. when I was in China, uh, none of the Chinese people use any of the apps that we know. They like everything they use is local, is made for uh, their market. The the forest sharing apps they use uh, is nothing that we know here. Yeah. Um, the messaging apps uh, that we that they use is nothing that we use here, um, unless you're obviously uh, like a Chinese person to keep in touch with the uh, with the relatives or friends over there. So it's a huge, huge opportunity to actually bring something of an international brand, however small. I mean, like uh, you know, obviously, Fire NPX is not too global just yet, yeah. uh, but kind of like bring it over to much bigger community than, uh, than we have right now. Now, what is, when you were over there, did you get a sense for like the, the pro, I know you didn't, probably didn't do a, a formal survey, but just anecdotally looking around, what kind of phones were people using? Was it Android? Was it iOS? What did, what did you see? Uh, in major, well, I was in major cities, so like in places like Hong Kong and Shanghai, uh, it's all the major phones. So like iPhone, when 6s came out, everybody was was with uh, 6s the basically the next hour <laughs> as they were <laughs> as they went on sale. Uh, but a lot of regular folks they have uh, different versions of Android phones. Yeah. Uh, but majority, like basically everybody over 20 has a smartphone of sorts, whether it's uh, a cheaper Android phone or a more expensive iPhone. Uh, they're really plugged in into the uh, app, uh, like ecosystem out there. Uh, it's just that for Android phones, it's uh, local Android stores. Um, and luckily, our app is present in local Android stores as well. So it's kind of like uh, it's out there for the consumers to, uh, you know, to be and see. Wonderful. Cool. All right, guys. Uh, we're we're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Yevgeny, you're on a roll. We're, uh, I mean, we know 500px, right? So other than that, or maybe that's it. Where should people go to connect, to connect with you and, and see what you're working on? Um, okay, I'll, I'll change things a bit. I started using Instagram after about three-year break Oh. Uh, because I've been using our corporate uh, company Instagram account for quite some time yeah. uh, and I get kicked out of that because now we are using that more professionally so in a sense to promote our community instead of uh, my you know pictures <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which I think is fair so uh, I, uh, I I was glad that that happened finally that we have the capacity to uh, you know to bring it back to the community so I'm now at um, Instagram as at Chibotrio, so basically my last name, and uh, be, I'll be posting a few pictures there. So cool, yeah, awesome, yeah. Me. We'll definitely point to pe point people there, and I'll I don't know if I'm following you, but I'll I will be after the show. Perfect. All right, and thanks for coming on, man. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Likewise. All right, Nicole, what about you? What do you've got coming up in the coming months? And where could well 
where and where can people find you and all that stuff? Oh yeah, well you can find me on my website. I everything's linked from there. It's just uh, nicolesy.com. It's n i c o l e s y. Um, I'm I'm pretty much nicolesy everywhere else on social media. Um, yeah, in the next couple of months I've got a trip to Italy coming up. I'm, my husband and I are attending a workshop by David Dushman in Venice. Oh, that's so right. really yeah, excited. That's up. Yeah. yeah. So we got a week in Venice and then a week and we're not exactly sure. We should probably figure out our plans because it's in like two weeks. But uh, yeah, so that's happening. And then I'm working on an ebook. I should have it released hopefully before the end of the year. And yeah. That's, hey, what's that's, what's the ebook on? Can you tell us? Yeah, it's on. Uh, it's actually I have it on my website already on my in my store. It's just a coming soon product. Uh, it's called Waterfalls and Waves, and it's going to be on long exposure waterfall water photography type stuff. So oh, photography, cool. post processing. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. I yeah, love always, sure. always. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I like to teach what I love too. So it's kind of a you know. Hey, you know what's interesting? This is this is geeky, and Evgeny, you'll appreciate this. I was talking to uh, to uh, Eric Chang the other day um, before this Back to the Future thing that I'll be talking to <laughs> in a couple of days. But he and I were talking over lunch, and he was telling me that did you know that with with I think the Phantom Three and maybe the Inspire that it can do a three to eight second exposure perfectly registered to the sub-pixel level while in flight? <laughs> yes, but he is not correct because in actual tests that my friends uh, made, it's about half a second. Really? But, oh, but, man. Oh. But, but it is still pretty cool because you can get... Uh, you can... Uh, so, okay, I, I guess I can reveal the secret. Uh, we are thinking of doing the time-lapse drone photography. Based wow. based on actually this uh, feature, uh, and it could be like in uh, post evening blue hour uh, time lapse in the cities, uh, and so don't steal that idea. That's cool. <laughs> we want to do something first, but but basically it is possible, and I think we'll see a whole new set of uh, movies and uh, and videos that are using. Uh, uh, time lapse and combine. Uh, you know, if you've seen some time lapse and drone movies, they're usually drones and time lapses, but yeah. never combined into one. So yeah. that might be the next frontier for a for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. A new genre is born. You know, what, now that I think of it, he may have been speaking specifically about the um, the Osmo, that handheld one, up to eight mm -hmm. seconds. Mm -hmm. So I think he was saying like three seconds in the air. Um, but the Osmo, the handheld gimbal mm -hmm. camera video thing, I think that one can lock in and go for eight seconds for an eight-second exposure, which might make a good chapter in your book, Nicole. I'm just <laughs> for water? I don't know. Yeah, I need to get water. one of those. <laughs> Blowing water handheld. Imagine that. Yeah, it's crazy. We live, in, we live in crazy times. You know, it's uh, we're living in science fiction. All right, guys, we're, uh, we're at the end of the show. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show happen, and that's our good friends over at Backblaze, FreshBooks, Audible, and iFi. And uh, listeners, again, be sure to check out our website at thisweekinphoto.com. Tons of episodes for you to check out there, as well as tons of interviews and other shows that we produce. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Perfect. <laughs> Holy Nicole can do that. <laughs> Hold up. 
is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.